Welcome to the Content Queens podcast, a weekly conversation about the complexities and nuances of the creator-driven social media economy. We are your hosts. I'm Kia Marie, but these social media streets know me as the Notorious KIA. Put some respect on it. And I am the Vic Styles, your internet best friend. Between the two of us, we have over 10 years of social media experience and hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of likes, views, and followers. Shit, Kia is even verified. And that's not a brag. It's simply just the fucking truth. Period. Our platform exists to inform creators, new and old, about the bounty of wealth and growth opportunities in the content creator industry and simultaneously share the best practices for your careers to have longevity just like ours have. Content Queens is an amalgamation of your favorite talk show segments featuring high-profile guest interviews and discussions on current events, all while exploring the most pertinent issues in today's social media climate. And the forecast, the world of social media is scorching hot and isn't letting up anytime soon. As new classes of creators continue to ascend into the ranks of the creator economy, there still maintains a lack of decorum and transparency on both the brand, agency, and even the influencer side. But we're here to fix that. We believe as an industry, it's not enough to teach virality if you aren't also teaching scalability and sustainability too. Insert your content queens. But it's not just our wisdom that we're sharing. This season, we're inviting a handful of seasoned guests and some of your favorite creators to share their experiences and best practices on how to thrive as an online creator. Here are watches anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts, but hold up, sit back down. We're not done with you. Hit that subscribe button now so you won't miss a minute or even a second of what we have in store for you. For now, this is Content Queens. Where content is queen. Content Kingdom, welcome back to content queens we in episode one two three four five six six that means we're more than halfway through the season how you feeling kia i'm feeling great i love all the feedback all the positive messages uh that we get it it truly is encouraging to know that the platform that we're providing and the knowledge that we're providing is actually really helpful so that's why we do it so i love that same, same. I love reading, like Kia said, the comments and the DMs, just seeing you guys say that things that we have shared have helped you in your creator journey. Um, I think that's one of my favorite compliments or comments that we get is when people are like, oh, I actually use this in a practical way. So thank you. And then the guests, I think we curated such a incredible list of talent and guests to just have a wealth of knowledge. There is just so many, 101 ways to do this social media thing. And I feel like our guests really check off certain boxes to give people like a broader view of the possibilities of social media for sure. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of checking off boxes of guests, our guest for this episode is Shanae Ingleton-Smith. <laughs> Shanae has such a regal name to me. I could just, Shanae Ingleton-Smith. I just love it. Yes. Perfect for content queens, right? Yep. And Shanae is a manager of Kensington Gray Agency. Management is something we used to get questions about all the time last season. And that was such a pivotal part of my career. I can I spoke about that during Bessie Donna's episode about how, you know, all the influencers around me, this had to be like 2015, was getting management. And I thought I needed that for myself as well. And then I had a conversation with Bessie and she just was like, you just don't have the time. So I think it brings up a really important question, like when should you get management? 
And we, I feel like we touched on it briefly last episode about what is that switch that turns on where it's like you finally need management? What was it yep. for you? Uh, when it got too much for me to deal with, I think. When I realized that my time was being split between admin things and also creative things. And I was just like, you know what? How can I optimize and maximize all of this? I also really, well, it was the same for me, but also I knew I wanted to grow. I knew I wanted to make a certain amount of money. And I knew in order for me to do that, I needed a manager. And so this was around the time when I was like toying with the idea of leaving my nine to five. And one of the goals on the list was get management because I knew I needed to save a certain amount of money to be able to leave my job comfortably. And so management, I knew would free up space admin wise so I can just fully focus on content creation and being creative. And how do you feel now about management? I think it's a part of the game. You know, um, I do see some creators that are doing it without management. Kudos to them. I don't know if that could be me. (laughs) I mean, with the the capacity of the work that I'm doing now. And so one thing that Shanae is going to speak about in this episode is just what managers actually do. And so... Ironically, after we had this conversation, I was so impressed that I was just like, yo, I need Shanae on my team. I need Kensington Gray to to be a part of the Notorious KIA. And um, she actually reached out to me a couple of times in the past. But, you know, at the moment, it wasn't I wasn't really in the space for transition. But this year has just been such a transitional. I've been ready to just like jump out the window on a lot of things and ready for a change. And so after this conversation we had with her, she just was checking off all the boxes. It was just like music to my ears. They're black owned. And I know they come from a space. They understand like what we're dealing with and diversity and inclusion is at the forefront of what they do. And they're honestly changing the game. And they really have a lot of these bigger agencies shook. That's like, dope. They shook. <laughs> As they should. That's that's beautiful to see, though. And I think what's really dope is to know that Shanae, my first introduction to Shanae was through the glow up. So this whole idea of an agency, of empowering other Black creators, this all kind of started from a Facebook group, which is so cool to see the evolution of where she's come from, where the platform has come from. Um, I think that's just really special. Yeah, it all boils down to building a community, providing value, and then people come and then you don't know where that's going to turn into. I think that is the origin story for every major community that's creating change within this space. Look at Black Girl Smoke, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of, I got to toot my own horn. I was featured in Rolling Stone this week and that was really dope. That was Um, so dope. Just to have a major publication talk about cannabis in that way, like it's not always the easiest, especially as a creator, like a lot of major brands and companies don't want to work with you when you post about cannabis. Um, So just have like a to have a major outlet like that, be like, nah, this is actually something that needs to be talked about more. Um, It's really cool. All right. So when you going to request that verification? Because the uh, (laughs) did you? (laughs) I did it last year and they was like, "Mm, no, Uh, I think you you need to go the back way. I think Facts. there's a back way. There's a, there's there some a roundabout way. avenues that you can definitely go through. There is a back way. It's coming soon. It's coming before the end of the year. I'm, yeah. I'm speaking that into existence. Yeah, it's, it's done. It's already done. We're going to celebrate. So all season, we have been asking y'all, send us voice notes, send us DMs, email us at contentqueens at gmail.com. And we finally, finally, we finally got some <laughs> questions. <laughs> so we're going to read 
the royal mail to you now um, and answer some of the questions that we have. That's so funny. Y'all not scared no more. Y'all sliding in the DMs. Y'all, like, I like that y'all comfortable. Like, you know, we've established some family, some community that you guys are just like open to asking us questions. And that's what we're here for. Yep. We love it. All right. So the first question actually goes really well with this episode because we're talking about management and the question um, asked actually dives into management. So this person did ask to remain anonymous, um, but we will drop the numbers and the actual question while we're asking it. I am currently signed with an agency. They cover modeling as well as my content creator portion of business. I heard you guys once say last season that management fees should be no more than 20%. So here's the bottom line with their agency. They charge an agency fee, uh, which is 20%, and they also charge a talent fee, which is also 20%. So for an example, a brand offered them a budget of $1,440. Their management took out 20% for the agency fee, leaving $1,200. Then they took out the additional 20% talent fee, leaving this person with $940. What started as $1,440 left them with $940. So their question is, is this a normal practice? Well, I want to say the influencing game kind of shook up the whole industry. So traditionally, you had a manager that managed your day to day, and then you had an agent that actually went out and found you jobs. And so traditionally, each would take their percentage, whether 20%, 15%, whatever. But now, because the influencer marketing in this billion dollar industry, management agents, agency, they're all under one umbrella. And typically, it's only supposed to be that one 20% fee because now talent managers are like a whole 360 business. They're pitching you, Mm -hmm. they're helping you develop, they're doing a whole bunch of things that traditionally talent management agencies didn't do. So I've had a few deals in the past where the brand would cover the agency fee. So they would put that 20% or whatever on top of whatever my talent rate was. So then once I get paid, agency already gets their fees and then I'm good with that. I wonder if this person is signed to a modeling agency because that's something that I see often with modeling agencies. The the talent, I mean, the agency fees and the management fees are separate because the manager is just managing, the agent is out getting them deals. I do want to bring up Once again, I spoke about this content of the week in a previous episode, Steve Harvey's interview with Earn Your Leisure. And he mentioned in the beginning of his career, he had something similar. Like in Hollywood, you do have a manager, you have an agent, you got to pay lawyers, you got to pay all these things. So what he ended up doing, because by the time he got his pot, it was like 30, like 60% was already gone based on fees. What he started doing was just hiring a lawyer to broker his deals and negotiate his deals, either he had them on a retainer or was on like a a case by or a brand by brand basis. So it ended up saving him a lot of money because he will only pay that one fee to have the lawyer negotiate the contract versus paying 20% to the agent, 20% to the manager and another 20% to the lawyer. So I'm interested to see where this shift shifts happen in this industry, because I noticed there's a few creators that are going completely solo dolo and doing it on their own, people thinking about it. And it all boils down to the amount of money that the management is taking out. What are your thoughts? I mean, I agree. I think that, 
you know, you have to figure out monetary wise what's going to work for you. Um, I have also noticed that a lot of modeling agencies are opening influencer departments or sections within the agency because they realize that there's a lot of crossover. But I would relook at my contract and even try to renegotiate. To me, that sounds fucking crazy. Y'all not going to be taking 40 percent of my damn check. So I, nah, I'm out of here. Me? Nah, no, 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 no. I'm out of here. I'm, that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> not to not in today's economy. No, me. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm like that's just too much for me. But if you like and you value the agency um, as well as the relationship, maybe try to renegotiate your contract. I think that um, what happens is we get so excited. I've seen people get so excited to be signed, so excited to have a manager and have management that we get into these deals that aren't beneficial for us. And then we realize later, like, oh, this is not good. Um, so again, we always say this on Content Queens, be sure to read your contracts. Get a second, a third, a fourth opinion. If you don't understand something in a contract, don't just sign it. Ask questions. Ask someone who's not a part of the contract process because you have the power to save yourself. Yeah, and Shanae will definitely get into all of these things um, in her interview. So definitely stay tuned for that. Moving on to the next question, somebody slid in the DMs. And once again, they will remain anonymous because we value privacy here on Content Queens. All right, so this person's DM starts with, Hello, beautiful. I really need help. I have managed to amass almost 130,000 followers on TikTok and growing. Wow. Well, congratulations. Wow. I do not have any brand deals at the moment but I am looking to secure something to help generate income. My IG brand is growing slowly. So the question is, can you help me create more slash better content that could catch the attention of brands? I just quit my job and I would love to parlay my content into a business. Wait a minute. Mm-mm-mm. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> got this all backwards. It's backwards. You skip and I just quit my job. And I would like to parlay my, I don't have no brand deals. How you making money? <laughs> Why did you quit your job? It's a little, okay, wait. So she They're, can okay. dedicate time to her TikTok. Okay. I'm going to start by saying that we love all y'all. And we are not judging, but we are going to give you the best big sister, we love you advice that the internet could buy. So with that being said, you can't just up and quit your job and you don't have no other way. And I don't know. You may have another way of income. You didn't even say that in here. But I'm assuming because you said you really need help and you quit that maybe there is no other source of income. Before you quit your job, you need to have something else lined up. That is just for safety, for mental health, uh, for emotional health. Like you can't just be out here floating. As someone who has been doing this for 10 years, the way that content creators get paid is up and down, baby. There are some months where I make a lot of money and there are other months where the money's not as good, um, not to mention the net 30 and the net 60. So you quit your job today. You may book a brand deal tomorrow, but you may not get that money for two months. So that's uh -uh, number one. Number two, um, I did take a look at this person's TikTok. We're not going to put them on blast, but I will say uh, 130,000 followers anywhere is a great job. The only difference is that if you are not marketable, if brands don't deem you as marketable, if the content that you're creating and sharing isn't marketable, it's going to be very hard 
to gain the eyes and ears and attention of brands. It's kind of like girls who post bikini photos all day, right? There's no problem with that. Like, yes, to show off your body, you bad. But if Neutrogena can't pay you for that, there is there really any monetary value? You have popular value. You can get the fame and the popularity, but is there a monetary value in that? So with this person, I noticed a lot of talking. It seemed like very talk showy, very comedic. But how can Target get behind that? How can Nordstrom get behind that if you aren't actively plugging these products? Because that's what brands look for. They want products to be plugged to know that you're able to sell something other than yourself and your personality. Yes. So I implore you. There was some we had a content challenge last season about even this season, I think, identifying brands that you use in your day to day life and naturally, organically integrate them into the content you already create. So if it's Neutrogena, don't go out and create a skincare routine when that's not the type of content you already create. If it's skits, if it's comedic, in, integrate it in, in the same full content flow and type of content you already create so it's still organic and, and you know that you can continue to do it. I think where content creators mess up is they start creating content that they think the brand will like that doesn't really align with the type of content they create. And so trying to keep up that that facade is hard. And that's what makes creating inauthentic. So it naturally integrate these day-to-day brands. I think Dunkin' Donuts works with uh, TikTokers really well, comedic TikTokers really well. So that's okay. a great brand to think about incorporating into your day-to-day content. But just get familiar, get acclimated and just with working with brands, but not working with them. Like it's a skill. Content creation is still very much a skill. And just because you have a lot of followers does not mean that you can make money from your following. I also had a, a moment to look at your TikTok as well. And by looking at it, just scrolling three seconds, that's what brands have, people have. I, d- I didn't get an idea what your content was about. It's kind of all over the place. And there's this thing that they talk about in the industry about being brand friendly. Vic spoke about that. It's just like, what is your content about? Like, how is this going to help a brand? And I think you kind of work backwards. Like, I don't know the reasoning for quitting your job. Was it to dedicate it to content creation or for, for other reasons? But for me, when I decided to quit my job, I made sure I had a plan. And the biggest thing was like saving money and getting management and like just getting management so I could get more deals. So I can, then I can make more money and I can save more money and I'll have a cushion. And so you quitting your job before you had your ducks in a row is kind of like a little backwards for me, but you can definitely make it work. And so we gave you a little bit of criticism. I do want to give you a few kind of tips on how you can make money with your following. Um, maybe offer promos to like really niche businesses. I'm not sure if you're uh, into like wigs and weaves or lashes. So like find like smaller businesses that's looking for um, like promo on a smaller scale. This will get you familiar and get you the experience of working with brands, but it's a smaller brand and it's less less pressure to create this beautiful, engaging content. So you can just have practice, but then also making a little bit of money on the side as well. I feel like a lot of times we put so much emphasis on brand deals. And this is also something that I'm currently undoing. I have more skills than just selling a product. And I'm sure that this person does as well. So you have 130,000 people. That means they want to listen to you. They want to watch you. So maybe you create a podcast and then you pitch a brand to insert product placement in your podcast because there's something about your personality that people like. Maybe you create, um, 
I don't know, some sort of web series, but I or you do speaking engagements, you write a book. There are other things to do aside from getting brand deals that could still be very true to who you are and the way that you're already creating and the way your audience is already digesting. Yes. And like we spoke about was the last episode about monetizing too early. It's like yeah. you don't want to put yourself in that box. I think you're in a unique position to where you amass all this these followers where you can just have and just having fun, just being you creating the content that you like. When you're dealing with brands, you got to create the content that they want. You got to mm-hmm. adhere to all these guidelines and key messaging and legal and FTC. No, don't do none of that. I will focus on being the best at what you're doing, utilize the TikTok creator fund to to get some money out of that, monetize through that, Um, get on YouTube. So you're you're monetizing through Google AdSense and the YouTube partner program. Um, Go on Reels and you can do Reels play and make money like that. So you're not relying heavily on brands because I'm telling y'all, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Yes, you do make a lot of money, you, you know, But at the end of the day, it's like you don't really have total control on the type of content you create at that point. So enjoy it. Enjoy the process. Enjoy not working with brands right now because you might get to a point to where all you're doing and your 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 livelihood relies on you working with brands. And so it kind of takes the fun out of it. Speaking from uh, experience. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Another great way that creators are making money with a ton of, not even a ton of followers, but something we speak about this on this season a lot is UGC. Skylar spoke about in her episode. um, She called it white labeling. So that's another way that creators are monetizing their content creation skills outside of just their follower numbers. And honestly, I don't know. People are marketing themselves as UGC creators. They're on TikTok saying how much money you're making as a UGC creator. And I don't know how I feel about that because content creation is still a skill. So this brings up our royalty of the week. So royalty of this this week is an article by Embedded uh, titled, Please Don't Quit Your Job to Make UGC. Uh, for those of you who don't know, UGC is user-generated content. Um, and as Kia said, it's something we talk about all the time. It's kind of ironic that this is the royalty of the week and someone submitted talking about they quit their day job to make content. Uh, you know, twofold. One, I absolutely love UGC as a content creator because I don't always want to post it on my page. I'm a creator. I love creating photo and video. Sometimes I just want to create it for someone else, have that live on their brand, uh, live on their page and their channels. I love it for that aspect. I don't know that I would base my entire career off of UGC content unless I was a tried and true cinematographer, videographer, or like photographer. Yeah. If you have a hard skill, yes. Yeah. But other than that, it's too finicky for me. Because the thing is, is that once you create the UGC for, I don't know, Tampax, Tampax is not going to want to see you all the time. So that may be a one-off deal. You may be able to do three or four of them. But at the end of the day, they want new people for their commercials, for their ads. And so it's going to get really hard to keep that momentum going um, with the same brand. So I feel like with UGC, you're going to have to go out of your way to pitch way more. 
And so another thing is they're relying, if you don't have decades, years in this business, um, you don't really have the notoriety or the experience so they can get away with just paying you $100, $200 to create. Um, And Shanae is going to dive deeper into usage and, you know, exclusivity. That's kind of like, well, usage, I used to say. Um, That's kind of like where, as a creator, you make the bulk of your money. Um, and so I'm I'm curious to know, are, are these UGC creators um, taking advantage of the usage and the licensing? Because I'm noticing that the rates are extremely low. And so... Same. And so later on in the episode, Sinead does break down how you can come up with your usage rate. However, I think it's still kind of frowned upon. Like, yes, you'll only be able to work with uh, Tampax a couple of times, but if this is what you're relying on, like it becomes like you're whoring yourself out for brands. Like you're just not posting it on your account. But now I'm seeing your face with Tampax. I'm seeing it with Rayel. I'm seeing it with whoever else. And so it still is really exhausting to be still working with so many brands and not really having to you like and so this is the thing they're hiring you for your face so you really have no creative say so you can't I mean you can creatively create right that's why they hired you but you really don't have a say so because it's not going on your channel so like when you're putting on your channels you can be like yo I know what my audience is going to resonate with but no it's going on their channel so they can kind of like carve out what your content should look like and so that's really watering down your creativity and it can it's it's draining I can assume but like that's yeah. the new big thing on TikTok now and social media is just like UGC content, UGC. I think it could be used as an extra source of income. Like I use it as like, oh, this is a fifth stream of income for me. I don't rely on it totally. But when it does come, it's amazing. And the same that you that you said earlier, um, the numbers are low. But when you're 21, you're looking on TikTok and you see something that says, oh, I made $3,000 this week with UGC content. That sounds like a lot of money. But then when you go back and you talk to a seasoned creator and they're like, oh, they offered me $3,000, but I was able or my manager was able to get it up to $30,000 because of the licensing and the usage, then you realize how much people are shortchanging themselves. So uh, are you are you branding yourself as a UGC content creator? But I, do <laughs> see, I, I feel like, you know... Like, if you want to be working, working, you definitely can, like, create a Fiverr account, be on LinkedIn, brand yourself as a UGC creator, um, and be out here networking and, like, have a thorough portfolio um, of things that you've actually done. Because, once again, they're not going to be able to look at your social media to see these things. So you want to make sure you're utilizing Canva to create, like, these beautiful, like, just promotional, like, one page, not even one pages, like, your, your portfolio needs to be, like, on point. For yep. sure, because to really separate yourself. Um, and then I would just get in the DMs and, you know, like Skylar mentioned, identify a weak point with these brands and say, this is what I can do. This is what I've done in the past. And yeah, you can really, especially if you're a creator that, because content creation is a, still a skill. I'm going I'm to I'm bring it back to that. Not everybody can do this. Yep. It's still very much a skill. So don't think this is the easy way out. And don't start approaching brands until you have a a body of work to show for. Yo, first things first, before we even get back into this conversation, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are on the road to 1,000 subscribers and more. But definitely give us a follow because we're, like we said, 
We bring in the production all the way up this season. So show us some love. As the creator economy continues to expand, so must our methods of decorum, both as brands and influencers. But what does that even look like? In this week's episode, we sit down with Shanae Ingleton-Smith, co-founder and head of influencer talent and business development at Kensington Gray Agency, Inc. The conversation is a deep dive into professionalism within the creator economy, what creators can do to be taken seriously, how brands can foster stronger relationships with creators, and how both sides can work together to demolish the influencer pay gap. Shanae, welcome to the content kingdom. Welcome, Shanae. Thank you. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for having me. I think something we get asked a lot is always about management. I feel like management is just such a pivotal point as an influencer, like when to get management. You know, at that point, you go from being an amateur to a professional. So we really wanted to get Shanae here on this show to just give us your insight about everything that's going on. We know that you started an agency, Kensington Gray Agency, Inc. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? So yeah, Kensington Gray Agency, we are about to celebrate our third year anniversary. We are an intentionally Black, intentionally diverse influencer management agency that represents what we like to think are some of the most powerful voices in influencer marketing. And yeah, we're based in Toronto. All of our clients are all over North America. And I'm just, yeah, very, very proud of what we've built. And we represent just over 30 influencers in every category you can think of at this point. So you mentioned that you have a roster of 30 people. Can you tell us some of the talent that you rep? Yeah, so we represent Kitan Akinian-Renier. We represent Monet McMichael, who is like a really fast-growing TikToker. We represent Hilo Lux. We represent Karen Britchick. We represent Isada Diallo. We represent the Yusufs. We actually just, just signed Mariama Diallo. She is an actress based in L.A., and we've worked with a lot of people. I feel like we work kind of with the best of the best in every category. So we got the fashion girls, we got the lifestyle girls. We have mostly like mid-tier to macro influencers, a couple of micros that are creeping up. I can share a link afterwards, but we represent some really dope men and women in this space that I'm just proud to even be a part of their journeys. When we're looking for talent to sign, one of the things that we look for is an X factor. We want somebody who has something that you can't get anywhere else because we go so hard for them. And we also go hard at the negotiation table. We need to have people who are one of one at whatever they do so that when we're negotiating, when you have a one of one, you ensure that you don't leave any money on the table and you can confidently go in and do that. And, and then you also know they're, they're going to deliver on their end because there's nobody else that does it like that. So how would a creator begin working with you? A great way to reach out is via DM, to email us. And we're always open to having a discussion, but we primarily reach out to people that we're interested in working with. But yeah, the best way is just reach out to us via DM. Send us a link to your social channels. And it's, there's certain criteria that we look for. And if you meet that criteria, we're interested in having a conversation with you. We can take it from there. What would possibly turn you off from working with a creator? I usually like to spend time following somebody and, and sort of seeing how they like move online. But one thing for sure is like 
unprofessionalism and just like a bad attitude. So we saw you out with the girls in New York Fashion Week and Paris Fashion Week. Y'all were serving looks like it was incredible to watch. And so we understand you manage these women. You're able to get them invites to these fashion shows and to meet these designers. So I'm sure there is a benefit to working with an agency or working with you specifically. But in general, what are the benefits of working with an agency? Well, I think the number one benefit is taking off like the admin off of your plate so you can focus on what you do best, which is creating content. I would say that's like the number one reason. And then depending on what agency you're with, there are other benefits bringing you into relationships that you might not otherwise have, fashion week, that sort of thing. Having somebody who can negotiate on your behalf and it takes you out of the equation so that person can just go really hard for you. Whereas when you're negotiating on your own personal behalf, sometimes you're not taken as seriously if you don't have somebody that's representing you. Another benefit is just like somebody from the outside looking in that can be a sounding board and can give you advice and strategy that will be helpful. And also to somebody who has industry insight. So as a manager and as an owner of the agency, I actually don't directly manage anyone anymore. I'm just focused on like the strategic overall day-to-day workings of the agency, but I can see, I have a bird's eye view of what's happening in the industry. So if someone comes to me and they're like, I'm thinking of doing this, or this brand is offering me this, or say something's happening, I can give them advice based on the wealth of information that I have across our entire block of business. And so question about finding an agency home. If you're an influencer looking for an agency, can you tell us a couple of things that we should be looking out for? Any red flags, any green flags when looking for an agency? So I would say definitely interview with a couple of agencies, have conversations. Like sometimes it's just a fit. Like when you like just vibe, you feel comfortable. You feel like they're going to have your back. If an agency says that they're going to do something and like kind of doubles back on what they were going to say early in the relationship, that's definitely a red flag. If there are a lot of people leaving that agency, that's also a red flag. Ask your friends, talk to them about what their experience was like. The questions that I recommend that people ask, how do you handle things like usage and perpetuity? What are your payment terms? How fast do you pay your talent? Do you help me with strategy? Is my commission negotiable? What does your team look like? How many influencers does each talent manager manage? How much one-on-one time am I going to get with my manager? Do you pitch a lot? What would be your ratio of pitching versus incoming opportunities? And I think that those are actually like really great places to start. Yes. Same. And you mentioned the commission. When people are looking for a manager or an agency, what is a typical commission percentage or rate that people typically take? The industry standard is 20%. So 15, anywhere from 15 to 20. In some rare circumstances, I've heard of people charging less than that. And I think that it's like a case-by-case basis. For the most part, I would say that the industry standard is 20%. And so that's what it is at Kensington Gray. And our rationale behind that is we know the investment that we put into our influencers. We know the value that we're bringing to our influencers' brands, the opportunities that we bring them. And for us to be able to make the investment that we make, 20% is a number that we're comfortable with. However, once you get to certain levels of income, we're definitely open to negotiating. So 
somebody who brings in well over seven figures in a year might not have the same percentage as somebody who's only bringing in maybe six figures. So definitely ask if, if it's negotiable. But can we just pause really fast? Because I need everyone listening to absorb what you just said. Whether you're bringing in seven figures or six figures. That's it. Both of those are a lot of money for a creative to be making. So kudos to any creator out there, whether you're making seven or six, like that's a big deal. Yes. That's dope. <laughs> so you mentioned helping your talent with strategy. What other things do you specialize in at Kensington Gray? So one area that we have moved into recently is PR. So that's a lot of the stuff that you saw around New York Fashion Week and Paris Fashion Week and just actually a year-round PR strategy. So what we're doing is we're actually hiring a full-time in-house PR person who's responsible for things that like aren't necessarily paid, but add value to someone's brand. So being at red carpets, premiere openings, being at certain events, getting gifted with certain things. And I'm not talking like the latest lipstick from whoever it's like getting gifted the latest Dior saddlebag or the new Prada Triangle bag. Or if you're a tech person, if you're getting gifted the latest tech, being put forward and pitched for stories at major publications, being photographed by the right people and, and getting accredited, getting verified, that sort of stuff. So we have somebody who's actually specifically responsible for that. And we sort of tested that and New York Fashion Week. And we were even more surprised. It was an overwhelming response, how the media responded to our talent and just to our pitches and to our asks. And yeah, and, and we realized it was a really important element to have for our agency and something that, you know, that adds value to the, the influencers that we manage. And then another area that we are investing in right now is products development. So we're interviewing and sort of working with a couple of product development consultants. So one of the influencers on our roster is actually developing a proprietary product from scratch, like a personal care product. We have an influencer that's developing her, her own clothing line. So we want when somebody comes to Kensington Gray, for us to be a 360 solution. So as influencers, it's great to work with brands and it's great to make a lot of money. And we're in a very fortunate position where a lot of the influencers that we work with now, they're like, okay, I've made great money. I don't really care to work with every brand under the sun. I really want to develop my brand and take it to the next level. I want to be in certain rooms. I want to be a part of certain conversations. I want to build my name. And as opposed to using my audience to promote other brands, I want to promote my own personal product. So yeah, so product development and PR are areas that we're investing heavily in right now. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that that is an area that is lacking in influencer management is the PR aspect. I think you're one of the first agencies that I maybe have heard of actually incorporating PR into it. And it's such a huge part of what we do. At the end of the day, we've talked about this before. We're still entertainers. We do still need to be at these events, at these dinners, on these trips. And a lot of agencies, whether it's because they don't have the bandwidth to do so, or maybe even the know-how, aren't as invested in PR. So I, kudos to you for that. Thank you. I think that when I first started, I got a lot of hate because people were like, you an influencer, like, how are you supposed to be the, like, manage, how are you supposed to manage other influencer when you're an influencer yourself? But I realized, and it actually eventually became actually my biggest strength 
the fact that I was an influencer and I know what influencers want. I know what influencers don't want. I made sure that everything that I was doing was professional and I wasn't obviously doing anything that was a conflict of interest. I made sure that I established trust with all of the influencers that I managed. And I really looked at everything with a critical eye. I knew why people were leaving other agencies. So I started a Facebook group years ago with other Black influencers. And we talked about management, why people liked their management, why people didn't like their management, why people were leaving their management, what people wanted to see more of out of their managers. So I was always thinking of what can we do next? What can we do to like make our talent happy? And knock on wood, we've been very, very fortunate. We have over 30 influencers signed to our roster. And we really haven't had anyone leave since they started with us because we really like we go hard and we really go in. And I I took the information that I learned in the Facebook group and just also from what I know of how I would like to be managed as an influencer. And we apply that every day. And then with my talent management team, I instill that, you know, on a day basis, like how many pitches have you sent out? What did you get a wish list from your influencer this month? What are some ideas that we can brainstorm around upcoming key moments like Mother's Day or Fashion Week or Juneteenth that we can put our, you know, talent forward for in, you know, for magazines or for stories? Who's going to Coachella? Who, you know, who can we pitch for like a takeover of the coverture or Hype Bay to elevate that moment and amplify it for their followers? And I'm always just trying to think of just ways that like we can amplify moments that are always already happening and ways that we can just add value and bring value to our influencers, followers, and just to our influencers themselves so that they're happy to be here. I totally forgot all about this until you mentioned it. The Facebook group was called The Glow Up, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, honey, the amount of screenshots that people were sending me from The Glow Up, look at how much money so-and-so made from this campaign. And what you did was groundbreaking for us as Black women and as influencers because now we had a tangible, we could see, oh, you making this much? Boom. And they asked me for the same campaign. I now know a range or a gauge of exactly how much I should ask. And to my knowledge, nothing had ever been done like that at the time. Mm -hmm. Like it was groundbreaking for this industry. So we definitely need to give you your flowers for that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Canadian. So I'm like, listen, like I grew up in Western Canada where like the only Black people I knew for the first 10, 15 years of my life were my family. So always taught like when you find another Black person, you say hi to them. Like you walking in the mall, you see another Black person like on the other side, like you walk up to them, make eye contact and you say hello. And that's the way that I've treated literally every phase and milestone in my life. So when I became an influencer, I'm like, okay, where are the Black influencers at? Like, Let's start a group. Let's start a community and let's work together. So my background prior to becoming an influencer and starting the agency, I worked in traditional media. So I sold sponsorships for a Canadian media conglomerate that was, would be similar to or the equivalent to Condé Nast. So they owned magazines and television shows and radio stations and digital properties, and I sold sponsorships. So in the tail end of my career, we started to move more into social media and, and, and doing things with influencers. So I knew how much money was out there, and I knew how much influencers were being paid. I also knew 
that an impression is an impression, whether that impression is on Instagram or it's on television, whether it's on a radio or whether it's an eyeball looking at a billboard. And for the most part, they are priced the same from medium to medium. So I kind of came up with a pricing methodology and that's kind of ran with within the glow up. There was a bit of trial and error in the beginning and the trial and error was on myself. But as I was starting to get wins personally, I started sharing them in the group and sharing like, here's the contact, reach out to them. Like they're paying this much, or this is how much I got. Maybe try for more because maybe, maybe they might have more if you ask for more. And we kept on sort of like pushing the limits where we realized sort of like where the happy medium is when it comes to, to pricing. And yeah, I think that that helped me tremendously in that. And then once we established trust with the girls in the Facebook group, it was the rules are give as much as you take. And this is a safe space where you can share openly and transparently and help each other, like genuinely help each other. In the beginning, people were reluctant. But as people started to, to see that we were all leveling up, making more than we could have ever imagined, and unlock new levels that had never been unlocked before, that Facebook group became like gold for all of us. And that actually sort of was the beginning or the origin story of Kensington Breaks. A lot of the girls started to ask, hey, can you manage me? And I'm like, no, just join the group, girl. Like we share all the information in the group. But then they were like, but no, like I want like this help on a day-to-day basis. I was like, no girl, but the group. And then eventually after a few of the people in the group were like, no, like I need you like on my team. I was like, okay. And then the rest is history. And we still post in there regularly and we're always sharing information. And now the agency actually shares opportunities because there's a lot of opportunities that come our way that we are not able to fill. And there are other people like in the industry that are also in the group that share opportunities and just even questions. We have annual and year check-ins where we talk about, okay, how much do you want to make this year? How much have you made this year? How are you going to get there? And everyone's really, really open about it. So lots of people, like we have several seven figure chicks in the group. And I want to say almost everyone's a six figure chick. Once you learn how to really navigate this industry, you can and should be making six figures. Like my sister, she has 10,000 followers on Instagram. She's going to make over a hundred thousand dollars this year. It's just about understanding how to price things out and how to advocate for yourself so that you are not leaving money on the table. All right, so we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Shanae, can you first talk a little bit or maybe break down the difference between a micro, macro, nano, mid, what are all the different influencer tiers and how many followers like is in each tier? Yeah. So micro is technically anything under hundred K and I would say nano is anything under 10 K and then mid tier. I consider mid tier to be like hundred K to 500 K and then macro is 500 K and up. And then mega is like a million and higher. So mega slash celebrity, I would say is like a million. Okay, cool. Now, how did your sister, what does she have in her creator toolkit at 10K as a nano influencer? What helped her get to six figures? So 
her in her creator toolkit resides me. But to to be specific, when you are that small, your power lies within licensing, usage, and exclusivity. So if you book campaigns for Olay, for example, and they want you to do one post and a video or whatever, your your fee is going to be nominal if you have less than 10K. So say you charge 2,000 or 3,000, just, let's just say, let's just throw that number out there. Maybe let's just say 2,000, but say they want to boost it and they want usage for a certain number of months. So you can charge anywhere from 1,000 to $4,000 a month for usage. And that is that is regardless of your, how many followers you have. So you can start at like at 10,000 followers, you can start charging a thousand dollars a month for usage. And you can actually do that per platform. And so usage, you can like make a ton of money that way. So a lot of brands will ask for six months usage or three months, month usage asks, and you should be asking for that per platform. So yeah, so that's, uh, that for her, she can easily book a campaign that's 10 K and she only has to do a couple of posts, but the cost gets driven up because of the usage and the exclusivity. And you can also sell photos. So if a brand is, okay, I want you to do a couple of Instagram posts and I want you to send in an additional five photos for brand use, you can charge a thousand to $1,500 per photo for those additional photos that the brand is requesting for brand use. And you should actually be asking how they plan on using those photos and for how long so you can cap the length of time that they have access to those photos and they'll have to come back to you if they want to continue to use them in the future and you can charge a renewal fee. So really that is how you can make additional money and you can reach out to brands and say, Hey, are you looking for additional content creation on the back end? I can create content for you. I can capture photos for you. And these are my rates. This is my fee. So you can just do content only partnerships, especially if like you're really unique or you're really great at the quality of your content and like the photos that you take or you're really great with video editing or reels or TikTok editing, et cetera, you can leverage that and sell content to brands that are looking for people that look like you or create content. Does that answer the question? Yes, girl. (laughs) And what is perpetuity? What does that mean? It is like a four-letter word at our agency. We don't agree to anything ever, 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 ever in perpetuity. So perpetuity basically means infinity in like forever. And essentially when a brand books you for a campaign, a lot of times what they'll try to slide into the contract is that they own the rights to the content that you create for this campaign in perpetuity, all you know, platforms, non-revocable and forever and ever. So yeah, perpetuity is a bad word and bad thing. And it's something you should never agree to. If a brand wants something in perpetuity, you should always say no. And you should cap it and say, hey, I can give you 12 months. And then at the end of the 12 months, we can talk again and we can renew the usage or the licensing for a fee, but never agree to anything ever in perpetuity. You want to always have control over how your image is being used. Even for forget about the money. You just don't want to say that you're very free and you're liberal and you take photos that are risque and you say you did a campaign for Savage Fenty or something like that and you agreed to usage in perpetuity 
And then say further down the road, you decide that you don't really want to put your body out there like that. Technically, that brand can continue to use that content like forever and ever and ever. And there are some people like actors, athletes, actresses that do little campaigns or do little things like this. And they they agreed to things in the past in perpetuity. And then this person all of a sudden becomes huge and they become famous. And then they can use your image to promote their product or service. And a lot of times those people, public figures will have to take the person to, to court to try to fight back to get the ownership of their image and their likeness in the future. So it's just never agree to anything ever in perpetuity. So you recently signed Arnell Armand to your roster. Congratulations. And in the introductory post, you mentioned something about ER. What is ER and why is it so important in the only thing we talk about in this industry? So, yeah, ER is your engagement rate. And there's a specific definition on how you calculate it, but it's essentially the higher your engagement rate, the higher the wantedness of your content. So the more engaged and tapped in your audience is into the content that you create. So brands want that, especially if awareness is one of their KPIs or one of the things that they're looking for in a campaign. They want to go to people that have high engagement and high engagement is great. It tells you that the person that you are working with has an understanding of how to really connect with people and to cultivate a community. So what is a engagement rate that creators should be aiming or striving for? So I would say that the industry standard of a starting point for a decent engagement rate would be about two and a half percent or higher. A great solid, really good engagement rate is like four to 5%. An amazing engagement rate is anything above that. And if you have double digit engagement rate, you're like a rock star. Can we talk a little bit about CPM? Can you explain to our kingdom what CPM is and how you calculate it? Yeah. So that's the measure that the industry uses, like basically all media uses to, to things. So it's the acronym actually is cost per meal, which is meal is French for a thousand. So it's basically the cost per thousand. So that's basically what the cost per thousand impressions is. So if your CPM is a hundred dollars, a brand is paying a hundred dollars per a thousand impressions. So say if you're a YouTuber and your average views per video is 50,000 and your rate is a hundred dollar CPM, your fee would be 50 times a hundred. And that would be, I believe that's, what is that? 5,000, about 5,000 per video you would be charging if your fee was a hundred dollar CPM. And then another way to calculate CPM is by working backwards. So if you throw out a rate, say my rate is $10,000 per Instagram post and your average impressions per post is say, I don't know, 100,000 views, just throwing that out there. You can work backwards from knowing what your rate is and what your impressions are per post, and you can determine your CPM that way. I can't do that in my head right now. It's a little too complicated. But if you just search CPM calculator on your computer, you can calculate CPM that way. But it's a measurement that the industry uses and a lot of agencies use to determine what the price is and to compare the pricing from influencer to influencer. And that helps them determine like their ROI. 
But you did mention a little bit about licensing, but also exclusivity. Can you tell us what exclusivity is and how that helps you or hurts you as an influencer? Yeah. So a lot of times when a brand wants to work with you, they don't want you to work with their competitors at the same time. And that's a fair ask. However, however, if they are asking you not to work with their competitors, they need to compensate you. So you are a beauty vlogger and you say do a campaign with NARS, for example, and they try to say that 30 days before and 30 days after your NARS post goes up, they don't want you working with other brands in the beauty category. That could essentially take you out of the game. So you need to charge for exclusivity or negotiate to eliminate or reduce exclusivity so that you can A, earn an income. And if they're not willing to reduce that exclusivity, they need to compensate you for that lost income or for that opportunity cost. So essentially, whatever your potential loss of income is during that time, you come up with that dollar amount and that's what your exclusivity fee should you know, be approximately. So say if you're a beauty influencer and you do say two to three collaborations a month, and those two to three collaborations a month work out to twenty to $30,000. And they're saying that if you work with NARS, you can't work with any other beauty competitors for 30 days before and 30 days after. You can demonstrate to them that this is the equivalent of me losing forty dollars to $60,000. So my exclusivity fee is going to be, say, fifty k. And if that isn't in your budget, would you be open to reducing the exclusivity to, say, one day before or a couple of days before and a couple of days after? So that it reduces the potential loss of income. But an exclusivity fee is is something that you should charge anytime a brand tries to prevent you from working with a client. And and that is, again, a very common and a very fair ask. But anytime a brand asks that, they need to also compensate you for that loss, the potential loss of opportunity. And a great way to come up with a fee, just like off the top of your head, I would say whatever you charge for an Instagram post, that's what you should charge as a general rule for most exclusivity asks per month. So if your Instagram post rate is say $10,000 and a brand is asking for one month of exclusivity, you should say that your exclusivity fee for one month is $10,000 because you could potentially lose out on one opportunity at least during that time. If it's a category that's one of your pillars and you could potentially lose out on more than one opportunities, more than one opportunity during that time, then you should make it higher than your standard influencer fee for one post. Or if it's like a really rare category that you probably won't be getting any other inquiries in that category, then you can make it a little bit lower. So say if you're a dog owner, but you don't really do a lot of dog collaborations and you get a dog collaboration and they want one month of exclusivity, as opposed to charging them a full $10,000 for that month, you can maybe charge them $2,000 for one month of exclusivity because pet care and pet food or whatever isn't really one of your pillars, so you don't care. You should always charge for it. Listen, that exclusivity is like going on a date with somebody and like telling them, these are my boundaries. This is what I will accept from a relationship. And then the person being like, oh, no, I'm good on that. Because sometimes I go back to these brands like, oh, this is this is cute. But you want these 30 days. This is what it's going to cost. And they back out real quickly. Oh, no, no, no. I changed my mind. (laughs) Two days. Two days before. (laughs) Two days after. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's actually just better to just reduce it or eliminate it than even to get them to pay you for it. Because you also don't want to take yourself out the game. So if you're a beauty girl 
even if they're willing to pay you that $50,000, $60,000, what are you going to post about for that month before a month after if you can't work with any other beauty brands during that time? You're almost better off just getting them to eliminate it and then work with everyone else during the time. All right. So what is content integration? So content integration, it's integrating sponsored content into a video or into content. So on YouTube, I would say integrations are more common, anything like a video related. So a lot of the YouTubers that we work with, they get asked to do content integration. So if you're doing a 10 minute YouTube video, say it's when you're talking about your most favorite purchases and your least favorite purchases and a brand like Farfetch wants to sponsor it, for example, and they pay for a one to two minute integration within the video. So you find a way to seamlessly integrate a sponsored content message into your video, and then the brand pays for that. And then you kind of, after you do that the message from the sponsor, you carry on with the rest of the content in the video. So this is something you would charge like maybe half your rate for like not your full rate. Mm, so we have content integration rates. So like, I don't actually call it a content integration. Like I, I actually call it just an integration. That's sort of how I refer to it on YouTube. They're starting to do integrations on TikTok now, now that there are longer form videos available on TikTok. And sometimes they have integrations on video content on Instagram. But for the most part, it's actually, it's like a fully sponsored, dedicated video on Instagram. But we have content integration fees that we ask for. And it's not it's usually based off of a CPM. So we typically started around a hundred dollars CPM on YouTube for an integration. However, there are additional fees like product because video is like a beast and it takes a lot of time and effort and production and investment that goes into creating video. So there are a few elements that go into pricing video. It's a little bit more complicated and it's kind of on a case by case basis based on, based on what the ask is. Right. Because I'm like... I'm like, I'm doing the same amount of work. I need the same amount of pay. Yeah. Integration, whether yeah. integrated yeah. or dedicated, I'm still taking the same amount of time to complete this. Yeah. Regardless if it's two minutes yeah. or 10 minutes of talking about a brand. It's at yeah. the end of the day, yeah. you know, it should be just one fee because you're still getting what you need to get and I need to get what I need to get. Nah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. All right. So when it comes to pay... We've been talking about pay a lot in this conversation and rates and exclusivity and usage like ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. But still, Black influencers are making less than white influencers. There was an article in Black Enterprise that said Black influencers make 35 percent less than white influencers. How are you specifically working against the influencer pay gap? How are you making sure your talent gets what they're deserved and evening that playing field? Yeah. So one of the best ways to eliminate the influencer pay gap is to talk to each other. Don't be secretive about how much you're getting paid. Honestly, usually the people who are the most secretive are the being paid the least, truthfully. And once they start talking and realizing that other people are getting paid, what other people are getting paid, they realize that they should be charging more. So, and there is a lot of money out there and there's enough money for all of us. But so that's first and foremost, is like talk to people. When you keep that stuff quiet, you're really only benefiting the brands and allow them to just pocket more and more money. So that's the thing. And then just to be a bit like us, I'm a shrewd negotiator. So I'm very assertive when it comes to negotiating. And in terms of just 
pay and what to charge. So on Instagram, tipsy, now this varies depending on how unique you are, whether you're a category expert, what your engagement is, and a number of other elements. But a good rule of thumb just starting, this would be just for a grid post on Instagram. Anywhere between three and five percent of your Instagram following, that's what you should be charging per post. So that's where you, that's a good starting point. But a great rule of thumb is that if a brand says yes right away, your rates are too low. If a brand ghosts you, your rates are probably too high. And you should probably circle back real quick. So go back real quick and be like, you know what, actually let's talk. I can be a little bit flexible. But if a brand is willing to negotiate with you right away, then you're in the right place. Because pricing is unique and influencer marketing and influencers, the way that they price themselves is a little bit like real estate where you can have two houses on the same block, same square footage, but you know how the contents of the house are different, how each person that keeps the house is different, the furniture inside the house and where the light shines on the house at a certain time of the day impacts the, the lighting in the house. There's so many different things that it's not always an apples to apples comparison. You can't just be like, okay, well, this person has a hundred thousand followers, so they're worth this much. And this person has a hundred thousand followers, so they should be worth the same. There's so many elements that go into it. But as a general rule, just as a starting point, this would just be for a grid post is about between three to 5% of your following. On TikTok, I would say it's like between four to 6% of your following. On YouTube, it's more tied to your views. And I would say start at $100 CPM, but also make sure you're charging additional for things like usage, exclusivity, and additional production fees. Just for the, you should have a bare minimum fee for just what the cost of creating a video is. Make sure you take those things into consideration. But how do you ensure that influencers are paid well? We're in a very fortunate kind of rare bubble of excellence at Kensington Gray, where all of our influencers are really at the top of their game and they're highly sought after. So I know our actually our rates are higher than average and higher than actually most white influencers. So that's a great space for us to be in. But another way to ensure is like we always come like locked and loaded. So we get questioned about our rates all the time. Some of it is like microaggressions, but some of it is like legit, like y'all are asking for more than anybody else on this campaign. Please help me understand how you got at this number because I have to communicate this to the client. We really want you on the campaign, but I need to understand how you've come at this. So we always make sure that we have conversion data on hand. We have engagement rates on hand. We have examples of how, you know, the content has performed previously. Be able to explain how you arrived at the number. Don't just throw out, okay, I want $50,000 and not break it down. Make sure that you, but sometimes people do that sometimes, you know? You're right. Like, where's the receipts, girl? <laughs> so you have to like break it down for them so they can understand how you arrive at it. Don't lump in the usage and the exclusivity with the, the cost to create the post, like itemize everything so that they can like pull certain things out and play with it. But, you know, just be assertive and your follow-up game has to be strong because when you are at the in the higher percentile when it comes to pricing, time will kill the deal because they might find somebody else who's cheaper. And so it's just important to just be, make sure you're on top of the follow-up so that you lock it in and, and solidify it as soon as possible. Agreed, a thousand percent. So you talked a little bit about building this house, this influencer house. And so we're going to we're going to pretend that Instagram is our house and we're trying to shop it. We're trying to get buyers and make it valuable. Let's start with the basics, the bio. How important is the bio for an influencer or content creator and how can we elevate it and make it a little bit more valuable? 
So I would say in your bio, the bio serves two purposes. So it is kind of like your resume to people who might potentially follow you and also your resume for people who potentially want to work with you. So make it just very clear and very obvious what it is that you do, Vic. It's like I post about lifestyle and locks and girls that like smoke. And so that people know when they come to your page that that's what they're getting. And then if you have some sort of value proposition for the people that are following you, click the link below to buy Black Girl's Guide to Smoking or whatever. So your bio will tell people very quickly who you are and what you have to offer them so that they either would want to work with you, buy from you, follow you or whatever. If it's vague or cute and has emojis and there's not a lot like for people to digest, they'll just move on, right? So it's a having optimizing your bio and making sure that you have information in there that is attracting the people that you want to attract and connecting you with the people you want to connect to is key. So we have this house and now we need to get this house appraised. All right. Something we talk about in this industry a lot is value. Make sure you're providing your audience value. What makes content valuable? Well, yeah, if you're adding value or you're inspiring the person on the other end of the screen, if it's thumb stopping, if it's savable, if it's shareable, if it's adding something to that person's life that they can, you know, act on immediately and they'll see immediate results, that's bringing value. But bringing value can also be inspiring, providing inspiration, like posting a dope outfit that like inspires me to get out, get up and get out and like maybe buy something. So value means different things to different people. The first thing that I think that people need to do before providing value is understanding who follows them, who follows you. What motivates them? What drives them? What are their biggest mis misconceptions, their biggest fears? What are their biggest insecurities? What are their goals? You can learn what that is by asking questions. But sometimes it's just like literally going through your followers, clicking on their pages and seeing, okay, it's mostly women. You can even just see just by looking at who follows you. Okay, mostly women follow me. Or And you can look at the it's on your Instagram that can give you a lot of detail on who your followers are. But understanding who follows you and then understanding what motivates them, drives them, what turns them on, what turns them off, and then providing value with that underlying thought in mind and those underlying things in mind. So... Kia and I are very lucky that we do have management and we're able to lean on that as a resource and a tool. But a lot of our audience and a lot of our kingdom may not have an agency or management. Can you give us a few tips on how creators that don't have an agency, how can they advocate for themselves and make sure that they're negotiating, that they're getting the best deals? So we'll just, the first thing is to just know what your rates are, know what your rock bottom is. No, I usually tell people to not accept the first counter on an offer to try to go in with another counter and then come to um, a final agreement on a rate. Yeah. Understanding like the psychology of negotiating. So again, like they say yes right away. You need to, your rates are too low. If they don't get back to you at all, then probably your rates are too high. And just you kind of like picking up on those cues, pitching yourself, having a professional media kit that makes it very easy for whoever the decision maker is to be able to 
share your media kit internally and people understand A, immediately what you do, B, why you're a fit for whatever brand you're, you're pitching yourself for and putting yourself forward for, and C, they understand your value and what you have to offer the brand. Also to just have a friend group and people that you trust, like the Facebook group is like a great resource. So please feel free to send in your request to join the group. We're always accepting new influencers into the group. So you can have like people that you can share information and just sort of bounce ideas off of having other influencer friends that you can trust and you can ask their opinion that can get murky sometimes I, I get there's a lot of competition sometimes when people are influencers and they're also friends so that's again we're like having like a people that maybe you're not necessarily besties with but you guys also all have a thing in common that you guys are all influencers so you all sort of like chime in and help each other just like having people that are in doing the same thing as you that you can kind of like reach out to there's so many other influencers out there that you shouldn't have to go on this journey alone and then if you don't have management maybe consider getting management if you feel like you're there and you're ready for it so I think this is very interesting because you recently mandated that everybody on your roster be on TikTok can you tell us about that like how did you come to that decision we were just seeing like money being thrown at TikTok like crazy like just the spend doubling quarter after quarter our top grossing influencer so far this year is a tiktoker and we weren't expecting that there's a lot of money being spent on tiktok particularly in beauty and skincare so we have meetings regularly with the brands that we work with and with the agencies that we work with and a few major ones were saying like i'm talking like this like the pantines the olays of the world are saying we're actually not doing anything in instagram this month we're spending it all on tiktok like brands of that caliber saying that the roi i think for brands was just stronger and TikTok may buy it is a real thing. And I think that the app rewards authenticity. And I feel like people are just just more excited about the app. And, and as a result, a lot of brands are spending and investing a lot of dollars in there. But the other reason why is that on Instagram, I've been on Instagram for 10 years and I have 65,000 followers, and it took me 10 years to get 65,000 followers. You can literally get 65,000 followers in two weeks on TikTok if you are like really dedicated and you understand how to cultivate a community on there. So the amount of time that you can grow rapidly on TikTok is unprecedented. And someone with, say, 100,000 followers on TikTok has the same value from a brand and agency perspective as somebody with 100,000 followers on Instagram. So you can charge around the same for a TikTok video as you can charge for a post on Instagram, but you can get to that 100K on TikTok like in a fraction of the time it will take you to get to 100K on Instagram. So to me, it's like a no-brainer. Like you need to find a new audience on TikTok, figure out how you want to show up on there because the possibilities are really endless. In particular, if you are in personal care, beauty, skincare, they are literally just throwing money at the app. Like it is never, I've never seen anything like it before. And as TikTok continues to become more relevant, I'm also seeing that Instagram is becoming less relevant. I think that Instagram will continue to be around for a while, but I do think that its days are numbered and eventually TikTok is going to take over as like the top app. 
Girl, you don't got to tell me twice. Listen, I'm taking me and my skincare right on over to TikTok <laughs> to catch all of this money that they apparently throwing out. So outside of TikTok, is there anything else, and you mentioned Reels, that you encourage your talent to be a part of? Showing your personality, obviously showing up authentically. I don't encourage people just joining every platform just for the sake of it. I would say find a couple of platforms that you're really good at and that you thrive in and focus on those. So yeah, if you're on Instagram, make sure that you're creating video content. If you're on TikTok, make sure that you're like posting regularly on the app and don't sleep on TikTok. And then I think Pinterest is also something that is like under the radar. You can use that to sort of grow and amplify content. Twitter too, you can use that as a way to amplify and grow content as well, like the content that you already create. But then also too, think about what the long game is for you. What is your why? Like, why are you on here and what do you eventually like want to do with your brand and I think that determine that and just make sure that every decision that you're making is getting you closer to that. Are there any free tools and programs, web services, platforms that creators should be signing up for that'll help them in their career? Unfold is something that I use regularly to make stories pretty and just like when I'm working on like sponsored content, Lightroom for editing photos. I think, I don't know if it's a free app. I think you have to still pay, but it's like a nominal fee. So as a talent manager and as somebody who's like regularly like reaching out to clients and like emailing people, having a mail tracker, so you know, people have clicked on links from you know, people have opened your emails and it can also remind you to follow up on things. So I find that to be like a huge resource personally. That's what I can think of right now. We want to quickly cover just brand deals with you. This is something that you're versed in as an influencer slash creator, but also as a manager. So we definitely want to pick your brain about these brand deals. So first question that I want to ask is, what can brands do better when interacting with creators and their representation? Are there things that brands could be doing better? Not just go to like your favorite five girls, do some research because a lot of the people that are making these decisions, they are very lazy. Like just go to the same people over and over again, which is great for if you are those people, but just not, maybe not go to the same people like over and over again, open your mind up to new and emerging talent. And I think all of them are always receptive to it when they're being pitched. And that's why it's so important to pitch yourself because a lot of people on the agency side, on the brand side, they just go to their go-to four or five people and they, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's sort of the mentality. But like when they get pitched a fresh new face that might be able to do the same thing, they're always open to that. And stop with the microaggressions. Like we get this a lot of times, like where brands are like, these rates are higher than any other person come across ever and like when people share their rates be respectful of them and even if it's not in your budget just politely decline you know what thanks we totally respect your rates and we don't want to underpay you but you know that's outside of our budget there's so many like ways of responding to like high rates other than like some of the offensive things that i've seen over time no they do pop off they do be popping off in the inboxes they really do First of all, I want them to start spelling names correctly. I am not Kim. I'm Kia. I'm not Kaya. I'm Kia. Thank you very much. I had to exit a deal one time because they repeatedly kept calling me the wrong name. I was like, oh, you don't respect me. So no, that's disrespectful. <laughs> you don't respect me. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're right. It all boils down to just respect, respecting the creators, respecting the process, respecting their time. Like we push back like a MF on reshoots, 
changes. Like we really are respectful of creators' time in the process. So if we've agreed to something and they delivered on that, like we're not changing it, period. And we have to educate brands in advance on that. If we've not followed the brief or did something wrong, then absolutely we're open and can be flexible. But if they just decide that they don't like what you submitted and it wasn't what they imagined or whatever, but you followed the brief, like that's too bad, so sad. Or you can pay a hefty reshoot fee if you want them to create the content again. So you mentioned content creation as a way, an additional way for influencers to get paid. Obviously, they can post on their social. We got usage, exclusivity, all these ways to make money. Is there any other ways creators can not only leverage their platform, but leverage their skills and just who they are as a person to get more brand deals? To get more brand deals, I mean, some of these things sound obvious, but remember to DM brands. Like a lot of brands, they have hired social media managers. Like It's their job to respond to you and answer your questions. And we book a lot of deals and reach out, make a lot of client connections by just sending a DM saying, hey, I work at Kensington Great Agency and I have a few influencers that would love to work with you. Can you give me the email address of the person who handles influencer marketing at XYZ brand? And literally... I would say seven times out of 10, the person will respond and be like, oh, it's Michael Smith at blah, 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 blah. And then you have a strong level one connection that you can reach out to to book a brand deal. So that's one option, like DM, like tag the brands that you're working with and focus on providing values because brand deals are great, but there's nothing worse than coming across a page that is like back to 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 back ads. And brands don't like that either. So you come across as inauthentic. You come across as chasing paper only and not really caring about your audience. Make sure that you're serving your audience and that you're providing value to them. And even with the brand deals, it's okay to say no. If it doesn't align with the type of content you create and who you are as a person, say no. There are more opportunities out there and you are doing your followers a disservice if you're talking about something that you didn't actually use, you don't really like, or that's like a force fit. People can tell and they disengage and they unfollow when that stuff happens. In your experience, have you seen any like creative ways talent has worked with brands like outside of just posting on your social media or content creation? Like just to give people an idea of the possibilities of social media outside of the apps and being a creator. Yeah. Doing takeovers, so we reached out to a lot of our brand partners and like when we were going to New York Fashion Week and we were doing things like we reached out to people and said, hey, this is our itinerary for Fashion Week. Maybe we can do Get Ready With Me or maybe we can cover it together. So like using the existing relationships that you have to amplify moments that are already happening. Yeah. I hosted a, a weed party once yeah. with a cannabis brand in L.A. They rented out an Airbnb mm-hmm. and had me invite 15 people and just provided cannabis. And me and my friends literally just had to post on our story. And I thought that was a cool way. Outside of just photos and videos, it was like they actually curated a whole event for me and my friends. And I thought that was really dope. Something that I've actually been seeing a lot recently, not like a lot, a lot, but it's come across our inboxes a couple of times and we're in the process of negotiating one right now is creative director roles. Yes. yes. So brands offering creative directed roles to influencers where you are now like the creative director of the brand or this division of the brand. And with that comes some social components, some PR components, but you like literally have a hand at helping to create and develop the brand and design like the products and and things like that. It's like a win-win. So 
I'm seeing more of that. Yes, we brought up Kendall Jenner in a previous episode, her being the creative director of Forward and what that means for influencers moving forward. I thought that was an amazing move. It makes sense. And like, I want to be the creative director of somewhere too, you feel me? So now seeing that as a possibility, I think it opens so many doors for, I mean, I know they're Jenners, Kardashians, but still it gives the possibility that we do have a lot of influence and creators. We have a lot of say-so and we have a lot of power. At the end of the day, we move trend, we move culture. Absolutely. We create culture. Right. Yeah. And just a quick word on anyone who's thinking of doing a creative director role or has that on the table, make sure that you include a royalty, anything that involves your intellectual property, anything you helped to design like for a brand, negotiate like a fee, like where you get percentage on what anything that's sold like across the brand that came from you as a creative director. That's important too. All right. This has been so knowledgeable and so helpful on so many levels. I'm walking away with gems. I feel like I always walk away with gems, (laughs) but specifically today. (laughs) And just even more inspired, especially to hear from a Black woman who started as a creator and an influencer and the way that you were able to take the knowledge and the skill set that you acquired from this industry and use it to amplify other Black women, our voices, our platforms, our pockets and bank accounts. Like, you're honestly dope for this. Flowers given. Thank you. Thank you. Before we end, we like to do this little rapid fire. And the way it's going to work is Kia and I are going to kind of popcorn questions. And you just have to tell us the first couple things that come to your mind. All right. So who is a creator or what is a brand that you hope to collaborate with or work with in the future? Karuchi. What Instagram account should creators be following? Later. Newsletters creators should be subscribed to? Business Insider. Right. Books that creators should be reading. Insta Style by Tezza and Influencer by Brittany Hennessy. Yes. All right. Now on to Queens recommending Queens. Who else should we have on this show? Okay. I'm, I know I'm biased, but like, honestly, any of the girls on our roster would be dope. Karen Richick would be amazing. Hilo Lux, Katan, Chizzy. Yeah. Asiami, Spirited Pursuit. Like literally they all have such unique stories to tell and they've arrived at where they are in these really unique and inspiring ways. Like literally anybody on our roster, I would recommend. But outside of that, I would say get somebody on here from like reward style. Risa Lake, they recently just hired her as like the VP of creator development. So she's focusing on trying to expand the people that are signed up on LTK, like on the app. It's not just an app for commission. Like people book a lot of brand deals with reward style, like a lot of substantial. Our, they're one of our biggest clients, like across our entire block of business. We do very well with them, but she just knows a lot and has a wealth of information. Super helpful to me. And I've learned a lot from her in the short time that I've interacted with her. All right. So what about your career would you like to cheers to, Shanae? I just, I'd like to cheers to a successful year. We had a successful year last year. Yes. Cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Clink, clink. Clink, clink. All right, to wrap things up, where can the people find you? This is the plug section, plug, plug away. You can find me at Toronto Shea and Kensington Gray, Canadian spelling of gray. So that's Kensington G-R-E-Y on Instagram. Wait, the girls need to know how we can sign up for the glow up. 
So the link to the Glow Up page is in my bio. And then the link to actually sign up for the Glow Up is in the Glow Ups page. And that's where you can apply. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you, Shanae, so much. You've been a wealth of knowledge. Literally. Thank you so much for all of the bombs and gems that you bestowed upon us and the kingdom. Yes. And the work you continue to do as you elevate and amplify Black women. So thank you. All right. So what was your biggest takeaway from that interview? Honestly, just being more aware of language, uh, perpetuity, even even being aware of engagement rate and how that affects the way that brands approach me. Um, I think that sometimes when you've been doing this for a while, you get caught up in the fact that you've been doing this for a while and you're just like, oh, these rules don't apply to me or you don't even check them as often. Like, I don't even really check my engagement rate. I don't check my insights as often as I did when I first started. And this was just like a refresher on why some of these things are that important. Yeah, same. I think the biggest takeaway for me and why I decided to join the team was when she really broke down like what management is supposed to do and what she does for her talent, uh, mainly like pitching and the PR aspect. I realized that was something that I was missing out on. And in order for me to ascend and to grow as a creator, I knew I needed to do these things. I knew these things needed to be done. So that was probably like my biggest takeaway. It's just like what man, like her breaking down what management actually does and then following up with like what she does for her talent and what Kensington Gray, like she, she saw there was a, a gap or there was a hole, there was a void that needed to be filled because she's an influencer and then she's also so she can speak from that aspect mm-hmm. as well and so I thought that was essential for management to make sure that they're checking those boxes off for sure another takeaway so after the episode uh, I got on TikTok you know I'm on TikTok now <laughs> And Shanae mentioned during the episode, which is also our content challenge of the week, that Kensington Gray requires all of their talent to be on TikTok. Um, So we this week are asking all of you to, one, be on TikTok if you aren't already. And if you are, upload at least one video this week. Yep. And something that she spoke about was engagement rate or ER. And so that is our hashtag of the week. And how you calculate your engagement rate is take your followers and times it by your comments and likes, and then you'll have your engagement rate. So I'm going to start doing that per post (laughs) to see, um, because like you said, Vic, it's just like we've been doing this for so long and we feel like we don't have to do these things. And it's kind of like, you know, like artists, musical artists, how they, you know, they don't feel like they have to follow these trends or deal with the streaming or be on TikTok. And you kind of get lost in the sauce. Like, you know, you're, you become not relevant. And that's not something that I want. Like, I want to still remain relevant because what's longevity if people don't even know who you are anymore, you know, or if they moved on to greener pastures or somebody else who's going to give them something new, you know? Yep. We have to keep challenging ourselves as creators. And at the end of the day, this is a business and we make money from it. So we have to keep ourselves accountable. And one way to do that is by checking our engagement rates and our insights. And yes, 
these platforms are with their algorithms, it's just making it a lot harder. But that doesn't mean that we stop working. We just got to work harder. Yep. And so for our follow of the week, we decided to only do one and we're doing Kensington Gray Agency. They are Kensington Gray, G-R-E-Y on Instagram. Um, I love the page. They're always posting uh, trending audio. They even post audio that isn't trending from Black women, but that it should be. Um, They also post just all the fabulous things that their clients are doing. Love it. I think it's a great resource. It's an extension of the Glow Up. I think um, you all should definitely request to join the Glow Up. We'll try to find a link somewhere to add it to the episode descriptions. But I think we should be utilizing every resource that's available to us. So with that, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Shanae, thank you again for dropping gems and knowledge and just being a breath of fresh air in this industry for women of color. Yes, thank you. You are doing the Lord's work. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time. Oh, again, email us at contentqueens at gmail.com. Slide in the DMs. We're on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Content Queens. Um, and if you're really feeling froggy and you want to leave, leave us a voice message. Yes. And of course, follow us on YouTube at Content Queens. Once again, we're still on the road to 1,000 subscribers. All right. We love y'all. We'll see you next week. Peace. We just want to take a moment to thank everyone for joining us in the content kingdom. If you enjoyed your time here, if you learned something, if you feel empowered by what we shared, please do us the honor by leaving us a five-star review. Yes, we five-star chicks. We need five-star reviews wherever you enjoyed this show. That's right. If you're enjoying the art and the content that we put out, be sure to let the rest of the world know. Don't keep us a secret. Looking to keep this Content Queens conversation going? You can join our royal family on Instagram at Content Queens or on YouTube at Content Queens. And if you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at contentqueens at gmail.com. That's a wrap for this episode. And until next time, see you next week. This is Content Queens, where content is queen. So wear that crown proudly. Content Queens is executive produced and directed by Frida Lucas. Mixing and engineering completed by Eric Aaron. Thank you all so much for joining us this week and we'll talk to you soon.